Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There was an idea. The Avengers initiative. I'm going to do this all day. I'm a superhero. I come to bargain. I love you, please, Hansen. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. You should have gone for the head. And I. Wakanda forever! Why is Gamora? Iron Man. We are. Welcome to a brand new episode of Denny Geek Presents Marvel Standom, where we try to give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics and beyond. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me today are Den of Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalad and our regular Den of Geek Pop Culture Contributor, Mr. Dr. Joe George. This episode of Marvel Standom is powered by eBay. We'll be talking more about that in a minute. But first, let's have a nice chin wag about the fourth episode of Loki Season 2, Heart of the TVA, where Victor Timely joins the rush to fix the temporal loom before a meltdown occurs. Now, lads, this is my favorite of the four screeners we got. Episode four remains the highlight for me, but I think I might be alone on this one. Alec, what did you think of this episode? You're not alone. Oh. I think this episode rules, yeah. Good news. It was kind of cruel for them to just hand out the those four screeners because it, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> quite the, the cliffhanger. We've been waiting five weeks or something to find out what happens next, right? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be six weeks, maybe? And honestly, if there's anything that we want to communicate with this show, it's it's that we are disadvantaged and you should feel bad for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, this ruled. Like, I don't even really know what to add uh, on top of that. And that, like, everything really works. It's funny. It's thrilling. It's scary at one point, thanks to the shrinking boxes. Yeah, this is really just Loki as the best version of itself. And I'm profoundly curious to see what happens in the final two episodes. Definitely. What did you think, Joe? I, I read your review because uh, I wasn't able to do the review this week or last yeah. week. So Joe took over from me and I did read his review and I thought perhaps you weren't as impressed as me and Alec. I mean, I'm, this is tough. No, I'm not impressed because I've seen end of the world events and superhero stories before. That doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I just, you know, world's end frequently on these things i don't know where it's going next i'm excited to see where it goes next i thought it was really well done but um i can't i feel like i'm like being the snotty kid who's like you know wrestling's fake right uh (laughs) that that you know i'm not trying to diminish anybody's enjoyment of the oh my gosh what's going to happen next it's just you know it's a this is a good superhero story, and it's not the end of the world. It's not going to be. I know it says it is. It's not going to be. So, I liked it. Maybe not as much as the rest, though. Episode three still better. I couldn't disagree more. 
I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I genuinely think this might be the most disturbing thing the MCU has ever produced this episode. I was trying to think of something as unsettling as this episode. Maybe the end of Infinity War in a way, but like there's some genuinely messed up stuff in episode four. Um, this one goes pretty hard. And it's another um, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson Banger. They directed this one. I love the way they did it. I like the shot selection. Just seems to have their fingerprints all over it. If you're a fan of their movies like uh, Spring and The Endless, um, some of the choices they made here were really um, impressed me. And obviously we just found out uh, just a few days ago that they have now been put on the new Daredevil series. And I find that quite surprising because for me, like stuff like Loki and Moon Knights, it's it's a bit weirder. So perhaps more up their street, whereas Daredevil more ground level. Um, whether that will work the same. I mean, they're still good, so it's going to work. But um, I was expecting probably a movie announcement for them more than another show. So, but obviously Marvel are impressed with what they've done here. And, you know, it's easy to see why. There were a couple of moments that struck me. Uh, I think there's one where Loki and Sylvia are talking and I want us to just say the Pyram. I don't know what it's called. Is it the break room or the Pyram? I don't know. It's called it's a, the Pyram gross- now. Yeah. 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 She, what does she call it? She calls it like the pie party or something when she <laughs> wanders into it. So I think Pyram works. I plan on coming to Pyland. They're sort of having a chat and he's saying, yeah, you know, it's easy to burn stuff down and it's harder to build it back up. Like you've got to dig in and sort of giving her a talk. And when she says, you know, well, it seems like we're no matter what we do, we're playing God. He's, he sort of goes, well, there was a choice there where they could have sort of done a close up on Loki of him going, you know, well, we are gods or something. But he kind of just mutters it and just sort of sort of stumbles away and she sort of follows him with her head down and it's it it's like a weird shot but it really pays off later because when the the loom is melting down there's a real like push in on Loki and that's a sort of conversation going on in the background and he just goes I don't know and it's just this amazing moment where you know it's all fallen apart all his determination and his his rush to fix things just hasn't seemingly mattered in any way and the time he's dead extremely dead turned to spaghetti by temporal radiation um it was just a really good moment where where they could choose to um to be do close-ups and sort of standard shots and they they don't but then that helps um more meaningful moments like have a bigger impact later so yeah i thought this episode was really good what I wanted to ask you guys was, does the does the horror work for you here? Because that scene with Miss Minutes um, and Ravona Renslayer just crushing all those people in the box, and you know you don't see anything um, because it's Disney, yes. uh, but it's still pretty effective for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I didn't think they would go there. I really didn't. It, it was well done, but it was as shocking as you can expect from a Marvel show uh, uh, on Disney plus. So yeah, that was great. I mean, and especially it threw in relief, the scene where Mobius and Loki kind of fake it, you know, that really upped what Renova is up to and her kind of March to super villainous. I saw a, a Reddit comment uh, or a thread. Someone said like, why does the TVA even have that machine? 
<laughs> what practical use could it possibly serve other than like the most excruciating death possible? What's for packing? You know, when you you want to squeeze as many clothes as possible, it's got practical functions. Wouldn't you vaporize them? Like you got to be really careful. <laughs> well, yeah, it's industrial machinery. You got to be careful. What do you end up with at the end there? Like a cube? Like when you get your car cubed? Yeah. I think the point doesn't really matter because whatever it is, it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> the shape is not that important. Or like a Wally cube from Wally, the trash compactor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavy machinery. You guys, you you watching your screeners way in advance. I'm the Springsteen of this show, and I I don't watch my screeners in advance. And I understand heavy machinery. I'm of the people. Wow. I love the way you trail yeah. it like you didn't watch your screeners in advance on purpose. <laughs> I didn't. That's the way that we're gonna do. Taking a stand, right? <laughs> For you, the people. We'll be talking more about Loki episode four in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics, both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must haves for any fan of time travel in the Marvel Universe. Fantastic Four 5 Fantastic Four 5 not only gave us the first time travel story in the Marvel Universe, but also introduced us to the greatest supervillain of all time, Doctor Doom. But the real draw to the episode is the image of Ben Grimm, aka The Thing, in costume as the dread pirate Blackbeard. Written by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, this early issue of the world's greatest comic magazine sends the heroes back in time to retrieve Blackbeard's treasure. Why, you ask? We don't really know. One does not ask questions of doom. Goofy as the plot may be, it comes via Jack Kirby at the height of his powers, drawing big, blocky action scenes. Together with Stanley's catchy dialogue, Fantastic Four Five tells a time travel tale that sets the tone for all reality-bending adventures that follow. The Uncanny X-Men 141. Even if it contained a lackluster story, The Uncanny X-Men 141 would be worth owning just for its iconic cover. An elderly Wolverine in plain clothes pushes adult Kitty Pride behind him, bearing his claws at an unseen enemy, illuminating them with a spotlight. Behind the duo are posters on the wall declaring most of Marvel's heroes, mutant or otherwise, deceased. But the cover is made all the better by the story it announces. Days of Future Past by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Opening in a future in which oppression of mutants has hit a genocidal high, Days of Future Past sends Kitty back to the present, where she urges the X-Men to stop a plot that will forever turn humanity against them. Iron Man 150 The Iron Man story Doom Quest doesn't have quite the same reputation as Days of Future Past, but it should. After all, how can you go wrong with a story about Iron Man and Doctor Doom battling it out in King Arthur's Camelot? Doom Quest puts Doctor Doom in a fittingly operatic story, with only a displaced Tony Stark to stop him. And without access to his amazing inventions, Stark must rely on his wits against the greatest villain the world has ever known. Drawn by John Romita Jr., Iron Man 150 takes full advantage of its gloriously goofy story hook, letting Doom dismiss the advances of Morgan Le Fay in the most arrogant way and capturing Tony quipping with the Knights of the Round Table. Iron Man 150 bridges the gap between the Kirby and Lee era and the modern Marvel of the 1980s. Hulk Future Imperfect 1 
As the Hulk loves to remind people, he is the strongest there is. But in Future Imperfect, we learn that the Hulk is the strongest who will ever be. And that's a very bad thing. Writer Peter David, whose ten-year run on the character continues to define the Hulk across all media, sends Banner into the far future to face off with a despot called the Maestro. Usually, nobody can stand against the might of old J-Jaws, especially in his Professor Hulk mode. But Hulk has truly met his match in the Maestro, an older, stronger and more malevolent version of himself. David's witty dialogue accentuates the already fantastic premise, further developing the psychology of the Hulk without sacrificing brutal action sequences. These scenes come to life thanks to George Perez, one of the greatest pencilers of all time. Perez crafts wonderfully complex futurescapes for the battling Hulks to smash, forcing Banner to stare into his own dark heart. X-Men Battle of the Atom 1 Few comic book runs have divided fans like writer Brian Michael Bendis' take on Marvel's Mighty Mutants. Bendis began his tenure with an outrageous idea, having the Beast retrieve teenage versions of the original five X-Men and bring them into the present to challenge the radical ideas of their adult selves. Beast begins to feel the real consequences of his decision when a future team of X-Men arrive in the present to challenge the kids. That description may already be making your head hurt, but those who like time travel stories will love Battle of the Atom. The massive stakes of the reality-breaking tale create a nonsensical but exciting yarn. And what more can you ask for from a time travel story? Head on over to ebay.com today to start or expand your collection. And now, back to the show. There's a lot of uh, chat about uh, Victor Timely's uh, inventions, about the TVA guidebook, about Ouroboros, about the snake eating its own tail. They they really state a lot of stuff out loud. Uh, but for me, very little about the plot of the show makes sense still. Um, I'm still really struggling to understand why they would want to even save the temporal loom. I, I feel like it, it it's surplus to requirements now that the multiverse exists. Uh, it was built to um, shrink everything down into one timeline. It can't cope with multiple timelines. So why do we even have it? It should explode. It should go away. Um, but Loki and Mobius are trying to save it. Perhaps it is just simply to save all the people at the TVA. And there are quite a few of them. You know, that's worthwhile doing. But um, th how much of this plot makes sense to you with two episodes to go? I would say fairly little. I, I like, uh, Joe, your article about, like, you know, the, the time travel rules don't need to make sense, I agree with. Like, there is a good don't worry about it spirit, <laughs> but there can also be, like, a bad don't worry about it spirit. And I think Loki kind of has both going on right now. The good don't worry about it is the grandfather paradox that we were talking about last week and that they addressed this week about it, a snake eating its own tail of you know like who actually wrote the tva handbook um because victor timely was inspired by ura burroughs who is in turn inspired by victor timely who is in turn and it just it's a loop forever that's just like kind of a satisfying brain teaser that doesn't have a right answer it's just the time travel goof it's just like we don't know it's a paradox for a reason we call them paradoxes because they probably don't really have an answer um but the temporal loom stuff is a little bit closer to the don't worry about it, but I kind of am worried about it. Like, I don't understand <laughs> what's happening here. Like you said, Kirsten, like, 
it's unclear what the stakes are really because timelines are just hopping in and out of existence and it doesn't seem to affect much other than that loom just getting more unsteady and i'm not even sure what happens when that loom blows up in previous episodes they've just yada yada trillions of people coming into and out of existence just willy-nilly so i'm not necessarily sure what the stakes are for all these timelines and for our heroes in particular yeah, I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on what a timeline was in Loki season one and like why it mattered. But after the the He Who Remains revealed that like this is kind of an artificial construct that's like, or maybe it isn't. I, I don't know. Like, I think <laughs> the temporal loom in particular is a bit too close to the bad don't worry about it as opposed to the good don't worry about it of the grandfather paradox. Because all we have really is Obi running around saying we're all going to die, and and that's the stakes for us. So we're like, okay, which well, to be fair is effective. <laughs> like, right. he, like, <laughs> like Kwan is good at that. Like that's <laughs> he is very good at that. But show you, even though you've been like, you know, the time travel rules don't matter. Screw the rules. When I was reading your review, I got the sense that actually you were a little frustrated by how little made sense, especially when this episode had its reveals. How much does that have to do with, I think you last week you were fairly convinced that Victor Timely was the prime yeah. um, the prime guy, right? And then yes. they, they do specifically label him a variant in this one. So perhaps and he's not. And this like basically talks through the screen to you, Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, it's like looks into the camera and says, Victor Timely, you will never be him. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't trust Miss Minutes. I trust me. If there's anything that you know from, I mean, come on, you guys read the comments. People watching the shows know better than the people writing the shows. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't know where I fall on that. Because on the one hand, I get, I do get the stakes in, again, sort of a Star Trek sort of sense. Where I understand that character needs to get from point a to point b like they, they give us the model where ob has you know you got to go from here and put this thing in then press the green button and you know and i get that i don't get everything around it in a way that is frustrating because i feel like the show sort of wants us to care about that and sort of doesn't like and, and i and this isn't just a loki problem this is an all superhero stories that deal with <laughs> genocide essentially problem like how real do you want it to be that thousands of people are dying do you you don't want it to go too far and turn this into something other than escapist fantasy fun which is what it is but then why do we need sylvie stopping to tell us no all these lives are being cut out right and so <clears throat> I, I thought that the the scene where Loki or, or where Sylvie goes off on Mobius about wanting to eat pie while going while the other stuff's going, I thought that was that was a another talking through the screen at me sort of scene because I felt like that captured a lot of the tension that's going on here. That yeah, it makes sense that that Sylvie is upset that Mobius wants to go eat pie while these people are dying. However, as a viewer, I buy mobius enjoying his pie much more than i buy thousands of people or you know entire timelines are being pruned and so i i i don't 
again, I th- this this isn't a problem unique to Loki. Um, all of them have this, and and unless you're going to have Captain America look at the camera like he does in Age of Ultron and say we need to save civilians, um, it's it's hard to balance that quite right. And I just I I hope that there's a payoff for all of Sylvie's hand wringing because I feel like it's doing. I feel like it's drawing attention to a problem it doesn't actually want to solve. And it's really doing her actor a disservice that all she really gets to do this season is yell about something that the show doesn't really care about. I think that they haven't spent enough time with Sylvie um, after the season one finale and what she did. They haven't really stopped to go through that enough. I don't think. Um, I think the idea is that she's been off living her life for a long time, while for Loki and Mobius, it's only been a couple of days, right? Uh, If that. But she's been processing a lot of what has happened, you know, killing here remains and and doing all this stuff, setting the multiverse free. And now she is reticent to sort of deal with the consequences. So she's sort of acting out in a way and, and sort of a project projecting on others around her which I can understand like as as a response after trying to sort of um process this over some time but you're right Joe it is a bit frustrating and I do think that the last two episodes of this of this series need to perhaps bring Loki and Sylvie back together and forget maybe about everything else that's going on a little bit just for those moments and it's not I would like it to not be in a romantic way because I still find that very weird and it doesn't work for me. And I don't think those two actors have any chemistry whatsoever. But I think just as variants of each other, um, that's such an interesting dynamic to have um, these two variants of of one person sort of bouncing off each other. And we haven't had enough of that this season um, to make that those personal moments with Sylvie work as well as they should. So I agree with you there, Joe. Um, in terms of Easter eggs this week, uh, there were a few, uh, there are a few good ones. I'm just going to get my notes up here. Um, of course we had Jurassic Park, um, Miss Minutes on the TVA blocking everyone out of the system, having her sort of, ah, 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 uh, screensaver. Um, we also had a mention, he who remains when he wiped everyone's memories, he called it protocol 42, 42, quite notable in Marvel for um, a number of reasons, one of which is quite recent. Uh, It was the designation of the spider who bit Miles Morales in the comics. It was also the number of his Earth in Across the Spider-Verse. I believe Mr. Fantastic's Negative Zone Prison is also called Prison 42. And if you're a Douglas Adams fan, obviously, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is already going to give you some uh, major 42 life, the universe, and everything vibes. Um, one that I didn't see people chatting about, though, was the um, was uh, OB and his little, you know, his little scale model of the, that was, that's Back to the Future when he oh. comes in. Yes. When they come in and he goes, look, sorry, I haven't really worked, uh, had time to work on this to make it really good. And yet it's really good. And they're all really impressed by it. But there's that same thing that Doc Brown does when Marty McFly comes in and he goes, look, this is how we're going to capture the lightning. And this is the model. It's all really intricate. Please excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. It's good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
uh, Marty's just quietly blown away. So I, I was surprised that no one has mentioned that, that I've seen, but maybe they haven't. I've just not been looking too hard. Did either of you spot any other little bits and, and bobs in this episode? No, I, I the I really enjoyed the Uroboros joke, though. Uh, the OB saying it's like a snake eating its own tail. That was one <laughs> for the, uh, the, the English majors. <laughs> I didn't catch any of them. No, I was very dense. None of the ones that I just said, even? I mean, I caught the 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 Douglas Adams, but that <laughs> that's about it. I didn't, I don't remember what we, we all try to forget about uh, Mr. Fantastic and Civil War, where he creates Abu Ghraib for <laughs> <laughs> in the negative zone. That was terrible. I don't know who would try to bring that back up. So, no, I missed that one. Yeah. You think there's any it's so just a fun little. Is it just a fun little egg? Some people in my reviews and stuff like that, they're just like, you know, Kirsty, an egg is just an egg. There's nothing to it. There's nothing coming of any of this. <laughs> this is not setting up anything. And I would say 50% of the time they're right, and 50% of the time they're completely wrong. Just so, because it's there doesn't mean that it has to set up. I mean, it still no, matters. I think yeah. it's still fun. No, shut up, commenters. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say commoners or commenters? <laughs> I said both. Remember when I said I was a man of the people? I take that back. I'm better than you. <laughs> Elite Joe. <laughs> Peasants and swine beware. Uh, is ready. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'd like to hit in this episode is predictions and i know that we're a bit early for predictions we usually do it on the penultimate episode we're not there but this felt like a penultimate episode or a finale so i feel like we're good to hit it a little early that's fine so um <laughs> joe any predictions like you seem to think think at the start of this episode that everything's gonna be fine and it's totally cool there's you know it'll just sort of run off into the next episode and back to i normal. mean i i hope not we're in the multiverse saga, right? And we do know behind the scenes that Feige is stopping and redoing things. Like apparently they threw out Daredevil as much as everything that was shot with Daredevil. They threw all of that out and are basically starting from scratch with a highly anticipated show. I mean, we know that he's sort of rebuilding things on the fly, but I just I don't see where they're going to throw out the multiverse stuff that they've been selling so hard. I would like them to. Uh, I, I say as a viewer that I don't think the multiverse is nearly as exciting as they think it is. I think they got everything they wanted out of it with No Way Home, and they're never going to peak the the fan service of that, of that movie. So I hope so, but I don't think they are. And so what I do think is going to happen is – some sort of equilibrium is going to be established in the next one that the, the 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 multiverse has basically reset you know this is a crisis level event a reboot um has reset but it's going to be slightly wrong and uh the fifth episode is going to be them figuring it out the sixth episode is the, going to be them trying to reset it and it's going to end with them not having it reset and will be uh, uh, notes towards the Kang dynasty, that Kang is still out there. He didn't get killed by ants. He is still scary, despite being almost killed by ants. And uh, he'll be lurking in the background from here on out. That's my prediction. 
Um, I mean, that all sounds really plausible. I don't know much. I have to add. <laughs> um, I will say, I mean, like the one thing I'm stone cold certain of for episode five and six is that we're going to see Mobius on a jet ski. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they all get reset back to their original timelines. Maybe they don't, but uh, I'm convinced that uh, Mobius will be on that jet ski. It is kind of a shame that they have locked themselves into the the, the multiverse angle for the whole this whole phase of storytelling because it would be like a nice, really elegant ending for this series if season one kind of opened up the multiple timeline averse and then season two closed it and we got back to our our prime timeline. Um, giving the demands of the franchise overall, I can't really see how that happens because again, it, it, like the most elegant solution here would just to get to get back to the real sacred timeline. And not the the artificial one that he remains created. Do I really see that happening? I, I I think we'll probably get a jet ski, and that'll be it. Thinking right on the jet ski. Uh, I did see one of the trailers, one of the shots that I haven't seen in the series so far, is Loki sort of hovering outside a sporting goods store. Now, for me, that just screams, "We're getting a jet ski." Like, why would he be there otherwise? Come on, um. But yeah, I don't I don't know what's going to happen in these next two episodes, but the people who created the show said that this is prob- this is it. You know, they imagined it as two seasons and they they imagined the story over these two seasons and that we aren't going to get anything more after this that they're aware of. Um but who knows, really. I I feel like they said that with season 1 that they were surprised there was a season 2. So what is all this? We imagined it from the beginning and this was always the story. (laughs) What is the truth? Yeah. uh, It's hard to say where we're going from here, but I, I don't know whether they will um, kill off Loki uh, finally, or is is he their golden goose? Like that they can always come back to Loki. I don't know. Yeah. He's, they can always come back to him. Even if, I mean, how many times have they killed him before? Right. And Tom's always willing, especially now that he doesn't have to do anything, but tom so yeah <laughs> say yeah the x factor here is tom like people get sick of the marvel cinematic universe and for a reason like this i imagine this is even with all the green screen this is hard work at times i imagine boring work like you can't get a chris evans or a robert downey jr to agree to just do this forever but mm-hmm. tom hiddleston seems to have agreed to have done this forever so as long as he's game i, I don't see them stopping yeah We shall have to wait and see. That's it for this episode of Marvel Standom. Make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. You can also follow us at denofgeekus on Twitter and denofgeek on Instagram. If you need more, all episodes of Marvel Standom are available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks once again to the sponsor of this episode, eBay. Be sure to check them out for all your Marvel-related collectibles. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, please be good to each other and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Marvel Standom, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard, and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music licensed from Soundstripe.com. 
Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com.